All right. Has anyone ever had bloody knees from praying? What about uh, maybe bloody fingers from flipping through the pages of Scripture so much? Just this week, I've had bloody knees and bloody fingers. But they didn't come from either one of those things. Thin set tile mortar got my knees. And grout got my fingers. Last night as I was uh, grouting, it was about, I guess, 11.30. And I just thought to myself, even though I've studied and began in Wednesday, or uh, Monday of this week studying, I just thought I would much rather be at the house reading a little bit more. I've got one more commentary that I hadn't opened yet. I'd like to read through the passage a few more times. I just thought that. And within five minutes, the lights went out. And so uh, I thought to myself, I was like, huh, after what I've studied this week, it makes me wonder, Lord, you're, you're in control of everything in the world, no matter what it is. <laughs> Even electricity in DeBerry and Elysian Fields. So I waited for a little while. I, I grouted with my phone light the last bit that was there so that it wouldn't go to waste. I'm just that kind of guy, right? I don't like wasting grout. And I'm putting it down, and finally I noticed my phone's getting a little bit dead, and the power still hasn't come back on yet. So I go ahead and leave. I finish that little bit. So as I'm driving home, I'm like, well, maybe it was just localized. Maybe I, um, it was just a couple of places. Maybe it's coming back. I get almost to 2625, if y'all know about uh, FM 31, coming back home. And finally, I start seeing houses with lights on. And then the thought came to me, great, then my lamp can be turned on and I can finish reading. So anyway, I, I just thought that was a pretty, uh, pretty cool story and I wanted to share it with you. Um, now, this isn't cool, uh, the text that we have before us. Let's uh, read Amos chapter 3. <clears throat> Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there's no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord, an adversary shall surround the land and bring, bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. It's a pretty strong prophecy that Amos starts out with. He begins the book, the, 
uh, Amos with the announcement of uh, a little bit of who he is. See, Amos is a shepherd, and he is also a sycamore fig grower guy, so he's in the agribusiness. We're not told whether he was very affluent or, or, uh, or maybe that he was poor, or we don't know any of that information. All we know is that was the business that he was in. Because later in the book, whenever a priest tells him, go back to your own place and preach to your people and earn your wages that way, Amos says, I am not a prophet, was not a prophet, and am not the son of a prophet. So he didn't come in those lines. He was a regular guy. He was a worker guy. And God called him from his task and said, you have a new task. And Amos obliged to do so. He comes from Tekoa. Uh, that's in the southern region of uh, uh, in Judah. And so whenever he comes to northern Israel, maybe he has a different dialect. Maybe if any of y'all have ever been to, uh, to uh, New York or Maine or something, uh, they probably think that our accents are a little funny, uh, it, which is not true. It's their accents that are funny, right? And so uh, I remember whenever I was in the Army, we had... Alphabetically, they put all us in, in rooms, and so there was a guy named Rumry in my room. My last name's Ray, and he was from Maine. And so when we were going around talking about who's your favorite singers, and we got to country and western, and I said, well, I like George Strait and George Jones. And then whenever we got to a little bit of you know rock and roll, I was like, well, I was always a fan of Mario Speedway. We get over to Rummery, and he goes, I don't like anybody but Richard Mox. And I was like, well, who, what? Uh, so, so it just sounds funny, right? And so here comes this guy from the southern region of Judah, and he's going to proclaim to the Israelites what God has said. And so they, they got this standoffish approach already because we've already heard from our Sunday school lesson this morning that the people of Israel during this time, they're very affluent during this time. They're living opulent lifestyles. They have many houses. Uh, they're just having a, a, it's really great in their economy right now. Uh, all the, the places that used to attack them have kind of subsided a little bit. They got power. And so they're, they're, not, they're thinking they're more in the blessings of God, not about to be uh, pummeled, right? And so here, here comes this guy from the south, and he comes up with his twang, and and uh, so they're kind of standoffish. But the first thing he starts doing is uh, railing on all these nations around them that used to attack them. So you can imagine that maybe the people of Israel are like, you know, maybe this ain't gonna be so bad. He can stay, right? He starts proclaiming about Gaza and, and Philistia and, and all these different countries, Edom and. And, uh, and he starts talking about all the things they have done for three current transgressions, yea, four, which doesn't mean only four things they did wrong. It just means they're innumerable. There's a lot of them. And so he says them all. And if we notice as he goes through this list of these pagan heathen nations that everything that they have listed there are crimes against humanity, the things that they've done against the people. Against human beings, fellow people that have flesh and bone just like we do, that they've done wrong against them. And so Israel's sitting there thinking, all right, we ain't had a prophet like this. This is, this is good. To, let's get more lay guys to do this, right? Let, we don't need any more professional prophets. Let's get the ones like this. And then the next one he talks about is Judah. Uh-oh. That's a little close, right? That's part of the same family, right? Those are the two tribes that didn't want to be with us ten. So they have a little bit of an issue there. But still, it's not them, you know. Uh, if someone starts coming at me, uh, it comes to me, and then they want to talk about people around me. <laughs> hey, cool, whatever. Then they want to talk about some of my family. Hey, that's all right. You know, it's no big deal. But man, when they start talking right here, <laughs> It kind of gets pretty serious, doesn't it? Because that's what he does next. Then he says to Israel that God's going to punish them for three transgressions, yea, four. They didn't like that. He's going to punish Israel and Judah, not for the crimes they did against people, although there were many that they did do, but because they were given the law. They were given 
a way to worship God, specific ways to worship God. Leviticus 1 begins with the burnt offering and talks about how you wealthy folks, you get bulls and you, you know, middle class, let's bring some, some, some lambs, you know. And if you're poor, bring a turtle dove or a pigeon. God makes a way. It doesn't matter your social class. He makes a way. He made a way for them to worship. He said, begin this way. And he, and he goes through the book of Leviticus and he's very detailed about this is the way you worship me. I mean, even as detailed and for some of us might think a little bit nasty, but taking the entrails and put them on certain places outside the temple in the worship area, where to burn it, what to do with it, who gets what, do you get some of the meat, do you get, I mean, very, very detailed. God is detailed in the way that he wants his people to worship him. He's still detailed in the way that he wants his people to worship him. And it's never about the outside appearance. It's always about the heart. And their hearts had become hardened and far from him. And although they were given great responsibility or great uh, uh, blessings, they ignored the responsibility that came with those blessings. I think we do that as well. Then we get here to chapter 3 finally, right? This is the beginning. This kind of kind of culminates and pushes off the rest of the book. Everything else is going to kind of fall from this. So he's not very detailed in this on some of the crimes they have, but he does go into some of it. Um, so there's a, I just titled this Judgment is Coming, right? Uh, I've never been a big title guy or points guy, so I, whenever I find something, I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. Because mainly the title and the points is, Amos chapter 3, right? Um, that's the most important part. But there's three reasons for punishing his chosen people. One, we find in, in the uh, verse, verses here, they ignored God's salvation, they did not walk with God, and they set a horrible example for the world. So now we'll kind of go through and look at that. And I want you to notice in these first couple of verses here that, that we have adoption, redemption, and election. So I, I want you to see that. He said, first of all, he calls to attention. Hear this word. Whenever I said that, most people that were looking down looked up. Because whenever you hear, hear this word, it is listen, right? So many times, how many times do you count? I should have looked it up. Uh, in the New Testament where Jesus says, for people with ears to hear and eyes to see, right? And so that's very, he says, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. Now, Alistair Begg, I did not look it up because I couldn't find it, said that this word in the Hebrew actually would be more like the word about. What the Lord has spoken about you. I think they're both pretty good, right? Uh, and so since I wasn't able to look it up, all I can say is this guy that most of us respect or like uh, said that that's what he said. But he went ahead and preached as though it says against because it does. Uh, so, uh, uh, so, but anyway, he says, hear this word that he's spoken against you. So here's this God that made a covenant with his people that's for his people, fought for his people, made a way for his people to worship. And now he's against them. They've done so much wrong in their conviction that Amos had talked about already that now he's against them. He must punish them. He says, oh, people of Israel against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. That, that's where we see some the, uh, the adoption, right? The whole family. Were they a family before? Uh, no, they weren't. What made them a family? God did. God created the nation. He comes to Abraham and says the words, I will. Go back and look in Genesis and it'll tell you, I will do this. I will do that. I will do this. I will do that. Never once does it say that, that, that Abraham's going to do anything other than just breathe his air and have his heart pump the blood that God provides the allowance for. But God says, I will do this. And I will make you a great nation. And they weren't real successful in doing that. So then he even made a way for that to happen. And they were in captivity for a long time and come out with millions of people. Behold, there is a great nation of Israel, right? So God did this. He adopted them in his, as his people. And then we see here uh, redemption. This is the story that's told through the whole of the Old Testament. 
God brought them out of slavery in Egypt by, by uh, uh, using Moses, the stuttering guy, right? He, he, he couldn't even talk right. He was, didn't want to do it. And, and, and God said, you're going to do it. And so we see there is salvation. It's a picture of our salvation. We're enslaved to sin. They were enslaved in Egypt. And God goes to them and saves them. God comes to us and saves us. He redeemed them from slavery. He's redeemed us from slavery. And then we see here the, the one that gets some folks, the election part, right? Not everybody's really cool with that, but... But it says, you only have a known. This is specifically chosen, right? Uh, purposely chosen. Particularly chosen people. Because he made them. Right? He created them. He made that nation. And he says, of all the families of the earth, I chose you. They were supposed to be beacons of light. To tell people about the one true God. All those other nations that, that, that you see that Amos is railing against. It was Israel's job to say, hey, stop worship, worshiping that totem pole. There's nothing there. It's just wood. Stop. We know God. He's invisible. He is the uh, awesome God. There's one true God. He's the God that we worship. That Moses said his name is I am that I am. Worship him. That's what they were supposed to be doing, right? They were supposed to be telling the nations about the true God. But they weren't. They were kind of like, we got the true God. Y'all don't. And holding it in. They were proud. They were arrogant. And then we see it goes on a little further. And Amos starts asking these questions that have obvious answers, right? Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? No. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? No. Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? No. Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? No. Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? No. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? No. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? No. These were easy questions and they all had easy answers, but they didn't get it. Well, ago we read part of uh, Isaiah, right? And, and he talked about being taken in a snare. And here we see a picture of that again. They did not agree with him nor follow him, even though they acted as if they did. So they, the two that walked together, there was a couple of different, two specific different things that commentators brought up about this verse. It either meant, okay, three things. It either meant that this is referring to the covenant that God had with his people, his people, that, that two of them were going to walk together in this covenant. Right, And they agreed upon it. Some thought that it was God and the prophets who agreed to be together to, for them to say and proclaim to the people exactly what he meant. One goes with the previous verse. The second ideal goes with the verse um, uh, 8. And then there were some that said, I think it could be both. I, I land in the third category. I'm okay with either, right? Uh, I think it is both. Uh, it makes sense to be both. It is that a tying verse that ties it to the previous verse, and then uh, forethoughts or whatever that word is uh, goes to the to the following verses. And so it makes sense that, and it and it makes sense logically as well, right? God and the prophets do have an agreement. He calls them do this, and they do it. That's the agreement they meet. God did have an agreement with Israel. You do this and I will be your God and you will be my people. And they had an agreement. They said they would do it. They broke the agreement. Uh, one thing they remembered was all the blessings, but they kind of forgot about the curses. Because they're in there. Like pretty deep. You know, the end part of Deuteronomy, Moses wants to remind them. You know, and uh, goes back into the curses. And 
they kind of just let those go, right? It's kind of like whenever your children ask you something and you say maybe, and they go, yes! I said maybe. Well, they don't even understand the side of maybe that could be no. Doesn't even come into factor. It's just you say maybe means yes to them. Doesn't it? I mean, anyone else have kids? I mean, yeah, there you go. See, uh, I know that's the way I was. Like maybe if I pushed it a little bit, that maybe could be a yes if it took some of my influence. Well, they kind of felt like that uh, that they had some influence too. So they did all the rituals, right? They uh, they acted as they did. They acted as though they were with God and walking with God because they did tons and tons of rituals. None of them mattered. We hear God in, in other parts of the books uh, talk about that. Uh, I don't want your sacrifices. They're, they're no good to me. You think God needs the cow that you have or the bull or the ram or the... No. God owns everything. You don't need that. And next, their hearts were far from him. They didn't think about him at all. It was only about themselves. It's kind of like the guy that in the New Testament that when he comes to pray, he likes to do it where? At the corner. So that people from both angles can see him. During the part of the day when there would be most people about, that's when he would want to pray. And he'd do it very proudly and boastfully, using these big words so that everyone would think, how, how awesome is this guy? How religious is he? I could never be like that. Kind of like the rich young ruler that confused the apostles. And when he went away sad, they said, wow. How can anyone get to heaven? And Jesus says, well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So they did not walk with God. That's uh, verse 3. And, and then the other thing is, is um, does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? This is referring to that being taken part, right? That we've seen in Isaiah, uh, the taken part. Uh, their sin had caused them to be so grievous to God that he was going to regard them as prey. They aroused the roar of the lion, God's judgment, and became prey. I don't know about y'all. Have you ever heard a lion, like, up close and personal? You know, MGM Studios has got the line that makes that sound. That's not really the sound. Uh, if you watch National Geographic or whatever, you can kind of hear the sound. It's this guttural sound. Unless you got a really sick entertainment system, you probably can't get the gist of it. Uh, but I remember whenever I was living in Fort Worth, there's this little town inside Fort Worth called Lake Worth. And there's this guy that had like an animal, animal sanctuary and, uh, and I was driving by one day, and I thought it was cool because you drive by. He's got the ostriches and giraffes and the, all the things with the big horns and twirly stuff. And, and I noticed he had some chickens out. And so, uh, and, and so I was going to go up to the door and knock on it and let the guy know he got some chickens out. Well, I look over to my left, and uh, there is the biggest cat that I've ever seen in my life. It, it's inside of a double cage. But it was an obvious male lion, about 350 or 400 pounds, something like that. Uh, and its mane had kind of fallen out or just kind of, it wasn't as big and fluffy. Uh, maybe he had his winter coat, I don't know. Uh, but he must not have liked me approaching the door because he got off this large metal entrapment that I guess he sleeps in when it rains and just goes to the edge of the inner part of the cage and crouches and starts doing this low guttural roar that I could feel at me and I just immediately started shaking. I mean, this it was terrifying and I knew what he meant. He meant one, get out of my face and two, if I could get to you, I would eat you. I'm a pretty big snack for a lion, right? And so so he was, he was, uh, he was hungry and he was warning me, get away. So I decided, you know, what if a couple of chickens get hit by cars? It's not that big a deal. So I turned around and walked off. That's how scary the sound is. 
I heard Mark Dever uh, say that he was actually in Africa, and whenever it gets dark at night, and you can hear the sounds of lions. Said it kind of scared him as well. And so, uh, but they, ah, no biggie, didn't really scare them, right? And, and, and they, they're getting ready to be judged by God because of their sin. And then, and then the next verse talks about, uh, verse 5, uh, falling into the trap of sin, judgment was to snap shut and catch them. Uh, a, a lot of folks, you know, and this doesn't really matter, uh, but one thing says that the bird falls into a snare on the earth, and the other one says that the snare springs up from the ground. And so it's kind of funny how many commentaries use like a whole page to describe uh, what kind of a trap it was. I'm like, I don't think this is a text about hunting and trapping. Um, it doesn't matter. The fact of the, the matter is, is that here's Amos, who was an agricultural guy that probably understood it. And so, uh, so he put it in there. It, it needed to be there. That uh, you know, some say that it's like the the trap that had the four corners, and if the bird came on it and set it, then they would the rope would catch him up. Someone else argued that no, it couldn't be that because it said they fall, so it had to be the one that boomerangs a stick out there at them and hits them, and then they fall. And I'm like, that'd be a pretty good boomerang uh, aim, I guess, but. Uh, so, but it doesn't matter. The, the, what matters is, is that we set our own trap. They set their own trap by sin, and, and, and God was going to judge them, and and uh, and they would be caught up in it. And when it snapped shut, they they were not going to like it. Um, and then they weren't alarmed by past judgments, which is really odd. Whenever. Bad things continue to happen. Don't you kind of go, hey, I need to change some stuff, right? I mean, that, that's kind of logical thinking whenever bad things just continue to happen, continue. It might be a time to go ahead and just look in the mirror and say, is there something wrong with me? You know, I, I know someone on this planet that's been married like nine times. And, uh, and it took the ninth time and many, many years later and for that person to come to the Lord to realize that probably I was the issue. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? They're right. They were. And so then they decided, I'm just going to stay out of it altogether. Because if I got that much of an issue, I don't even need to go there. Right? And, and, that's, that's, and, and I'm like, commendations to you, you know, uh, please don't, and then don't offer me marital advice either, please, and so, uh, but, uh, so, but those are, those past bad things that occur, we should learn from those, right, don't we tell our children when they do something wrong, or an accident happens, see, that way you'll learn, you know, I remember whenever I got my little boy's first little knife, and I started playing with knives when I was real little. My papa let me. It's no big deal. I didn't have a hovering mom or a hovering memo or any of that. It was like, oh, be careful. So I just played with it. And uh, and so I cut myself once, come in, papa cut himself, and he goes, yeah, see, that way you'll learn. Well, I got a little boy. I got him his first knife. Probably he was barely out of diapers. And so he decided, and I said, don't... Uh, don't use it unless you really need to, you know, you know, whittle a stick or something, you know, because that's a needed thing. You need to whittle sticks. Uh, but, you know, just if you need to use it for a purpose, then use your knife. Well, he decides he wants to cut blades of grass with it. Cuts his finger. Comes in all on his own and says, don't think I'm ready for the knife yet. So he gives it back to me and his mom. And, uh, and so uh, now he has a couple of them, and he's ready for them now, but it's been, you know, two and a half, three years since then. So he's grown. He's understood, hey, some bad things happen. I need to adjust my thinking, my processes, right? Uh, Israel didn't do that. You know, we, we heard this morning about some of the things that they had been through, and they never learned. Uh, flip over a page. For me, it's a page, but go to uh, chapter 4. Look in verse 6. I gave you cleanliness, cleanliness of teeth in all your cities. I didn't have any food. 
And then the hard part is the part that he says, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. They didn't see it. They were blind to it. Well, we need to do better saving next year. They didn't understand that God did this. It's, verse 7, I also withheld the rain from you. Uh-oh, God can withhold rain? Yeah, in case you didn't know, he can and uh, he said, I withheld the rain for you when there were yet three months to harvest. That's when you need it the most, right? That's whenever your plants are the largest, they're sucking in the most nutrients. That's when they need the most water. God withheld it. And gave it to another field and then took it away. And then they had to wander around. And then he finishes it again. Yet you did not return to me. He says, I struck you with blight. And mildew. This isn't the mildew that comes from moisture. This is the mildew that comes from the opposite of that. Uh, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, and the locusts devoured them, yet you did not return to me. I sent among you pestilence after the manner of Egypt. And then he, he, I killed your young men with the sword in battle. Yet you did not return to me I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning yet you did not return to me declares the Lord they didn't understand that they, they rejected these warnings they, they just saw them as eh, that's not God they didn't really care right it's just that's just happenstance it's coincidence it's just part of life if God is in the heavens and does whatever he pleases and it pleases him to be intimately involved with his creation then anything and everything that happens can be explained by looking to God right bad or good everything bad that Chad does comes from within everything good that Chad does comes from God the Father I have no good naturally built in me. I proved it. It's only whenever God comes about. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. No one does good. No, not one. I don't know why that's so hard to understand. You say that verse to people and they go, yeah, but. But. What do you mean? Well, so-and-so gives water to the, to the people in Africa. Okay, good for him. And where does he tell people about it? All over social media. Why is he doing it? Pride, arrogance, notoriety. Is he doing it because he has love for them? What about all the people that do things that we don't know about? Those are the ones that are doing it for the right reasons. There might be some of you in here that are providing water and food for those that are in need. Other than the ones that live in your household, of course, because you're supposed to do that. <coughs> Maybe you're doing that for someone. And we don't know about it because you're like, I don't want the backpack here. It's more important to build up treasures in heaven, right? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? I know someone that gave me a vehicle to use for as long as I wanted. Not one single time did I see it sprouted on Facebook. Guess what I did? Because they wanted to build up treasures in heaven. Because they loved me. Because first, they loved God. Now, I can't steal their treasure, but I can tell you that that person is in the room right now. Thank you for coming. There's a way to go about things, and Israel did every single one of those things the wrong way. We're being blessed. We have this, look at us, I got multiple houses. I have everything that I need, but the way they were getting it, the way they, they were doing it was all wrong. Uh, they rejected all the prophets' warnings. God's plans were refused. And they feared the roar of the lion and God's warnings. The last point. Um, 
they set a horrible example for the world, or the last point of those, last reason of the, that first point. They set a horrible example before the world. Uh, we see that beginning here in verse uh, 9. Well, first let's go back just a, just a minute, because this is a, a, something that I want to bring out about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Paul, and, and Peter, right? Uh, the lion has roared. Who shall not fear? Who who will not fear? Everyone should, right? Uh, he says, the Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy, right? So when we have this in our hands and we only open it on Sunday and we tell no one else about Jesus all the day long, are we more like Amos, Paul, Peter, Isaiah, Jeremiah? Or are we more like the Israelite nation? We don't want to look like the world. We're supposed to be in it, but not all about it. We shouldn't have the same rate of divorce in the church that we have in the world. But we do. We shouldn't have the number of men in the pulpit who are addicted to pornography equal to and maybe surpass that of those that are out there. But we have it. We shouldn't have cases of adultery amongst the clergy, but we do. There shouldn't be rape and incest, but there is. It's in the church. It was here, everywhere. We're supposed to proclaim what this word says. Just as though the prophets were to proclaim what God told them. Because we're told to share this, right? God came to the prophets specifically and said, do it like this, say this, and they did. Hebrews 1 talks about, but in these last days, in the former days of use the prophets and the law, it, these last days they used Jesus. And Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, be my witnesses. Well, the best way to be a witness is to quote what you're witnessing about. So we got to stay in the word. we got to study we heard a little bit about that this morning as well. We stay in the Word and we study the Word. And then when you're in everyday conversation with someone, it should just come up. If you're so immersed into the Word of God, then it doesn't matter what you do. It should come out. Even if you're trying to be quiet about God because maybe your company has a policy not to talk about religious things, it should slip. You know what I mean? It, it should slip. You, it should be so ingrained in you that you're like, oh, uh, I, I know you have a policy against that. I'm sorry. I just I just read this morning and uh, in, in this book of the Bible, and I, I was just thinking about that all day, praying about it on the way to work. And my apologies. And then, of course, do it again and again and again. No. Um, but but if you don't have those policies and, and you're allowed to freely talk about it, shouldn't we? Shouldn't it just evolve itself in every conversation we have, no matter what it is? I mean, talk about the weather? Sure. Thank God can be brought up if you're talking about the weather. Yeah, yeah, you can. Even in a dealership when you're looking at a new car could God be could God be brought up could Christ be brought up you're dealing with finances right I talk about the metal you know God created everything Jesus holds everything together everything that we do should evoke something about our faith in Jesus Christ it doesn't always, does it? I mean, hopefully I'm not the only person up here that's embarrassed themselves and had to go back home, pray for forgiveness from God, and then go back to the people that I've acted like a pagan fool in front of and apologize and say, that's not me. I shouldn't have done that. Um, I try to represent Christ, and I did a very poor job there. Will you accept my apology? I have to do that. And usually I have to do it to those that I care about because those are the ones that I slice up first. Keeps me in good practice, though. 
Some of us need more practice than others. So if the Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? So if we have the word of God, who can proclaim what it says? Is there anything better than knowing that you can live for an eternity with the God who created everything by putting your faith and trust in him and repenting of your sins? Is there anything? Does anyone know? Is there anything better than that? F-350, Dooley, King Ranch, Bugatti, Lamborghini, Big House, title, position, president of the United States. You may think that's more important. Emperor of the planet. Can anything surpass that, right? That is the most important thing ever in our existence. And so to have that and not tell people about it, I think that's a bad thing. To come home and share with your spouse or your loved one and say, Whew, I met this lost person today. Lost as a goose. Don't know their don't know nothing. They're talking about worshiping Thor and Odin. And then your spouse says, So you told them about Christ, right? No. I just made fun of them and left. Probably not the right response, right? To have the best news ever and then not share it. Um, so now, uh, the last reason uh, that I have here. They set a horrible example to the world. Uh, we see that here that uh, they the evil the world saw unrest and turmoil, oppression, unrighteousness, theft, violence, hoarding wealth. But they didn't only hoard wealth, they, they hoarded it in a way to ne that neglected the poor. I mean, it talks about over here that uh, they sell the righteous. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. They don't take care of those that need serious help and those that just need sandals and they, they take away their land. And, and I mean, they just they totally oppress the poor solely for their own benefit. Can you think of anything as bad as that? I mean, someone to just purposely uh, trade things and say, I'll give you some meat, one portion of food for uh, your 12 acres. And they're so hungry that they take it. Esau and Jacob had a deal about some porridge one time, didn't they? That, that's pretty bad on both parts right there, right? Uh, but they made the trade. They made the deal. We should be more holy in our thinking, right? Uh, but the Israelites weren't. They were like, what can I get? God's blessing me, obviously, because I can get 12 extra acres out of this guy just for giving him a chicken leg. Probably not what God meant in the blessings and curses. I can't, I can't find that anywhere in the book of Deuteronomy under the blessings. The unrest and turmoil, they were always on the poor. Always on the poor. Uh, the, the wealthy, they would have these false judgments against them. Nothing ever was the way that it should have done. And, and, and God goes on to say that they don't know how to do right. Look there in verse 10. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. They think that what is right is actually what's wrong. There's a saying that goes with it, but I'm not very good with sayings. Uh, one of y'all know it, you can blurt it out. Um, but they think the wrong thing is the right thing when really it's the wrong thing, right? It just doesn't make sense. 
But to them it did because it benefited them monetarily. And so if it benefits them monetarily, financial blessings means that I'm doing right. So obviously I'm in God's favor. Is that always the case? I knew a guy one time, a little, a little on the wealthier side, and uh, he was teaching Sunday school, and he said this a lot. Some of y'all are, are about to like lose your eardrums when I say it, but he said, I got this most of the time, but every once in a while, and he even did this motion, I could use a little help, God. That hurt your ears to hear that? I mean, immediately I think of the song, I need thee every hour. Right? And sometimes more often than that, uh, every minute of every second of every day, there's probably a song that describes it that way better. But if I need thee every hour, how can it be that I'm mostly good all on my own and just need a little help every now and again? And the help he was referring to was a little bit extra money. Had a big old house paid for, several vehicles paid for, management position making tons of money, but every once in a while, just want a little more money. Just need a little help. So he prayed for it. Prayed for that. And whenever it would occur, he would assume that that was God purposely blessing him. I didn't get it. You know what I mean? I just, just didn't get it. God's coming judgment upon his chosen people begins in verses 11 and goes through 14. So, so he has this, Amos has had this ideal here. He's talking about them. He's, he's a pretty smart guy, right? For an agricultural guy, he's pretty smart. He's put this together. Uh, he's got the, the things in the first two verses there. Then he asked these rhetorical questions with cause and effect relationships to them uh, and then goes on to talk about if he's been called to prophesy you better believe he's going to do it later on he actually is told to go back down by one of the priests in, in uh, uh, Bethel and, and, and to go back to your place and he doesn't do it matter of fact he says matter of fact this is what's going to happen to you and uh, and so then he keeps on preaching but uh, and, and now he, he gets into the uh, this is this is what the the judgment upon the chosen people is. And it begins there in 9, actually. He's going to call, as witnesses, pagan nations to come out and watch what's fixing to happen, right? Uh, he's calling them to look and see what God is going to do to his people for disobeying him. Proclaim to the stronghold in Ashdod, to the stronghold in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves in the mountains of Samaria, the capital city, right? The, the, go there because it's going gonna, it's gonna to take place. To see the, all this, uh, the, the evil that they have done. Be witnesses. You know, the Bible talks about having at least two witnesses here. Amos follows the pattern. Brings two different nations in, two pagan nations. That even though they may not worship God, doesn't make God any less the one true God and who they worship figments of their imagination. But he's going to call them in and they're going to be witnesses to this. He's coming judgment to his, to his chosen people. An enemy would attack the land. We heard this morning it's going to be Assyria. He doesn't even say Assyria anywhere in here. Uh, but it's not long after this that it does occur. This is uh, somewhere in the 8th century, around 760 to 770 BC, something like that. We know Assyria comes in 722, so it's not long after this, but uh, that, that there, there's going to be an adversary that shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. So what you do to the poor, and how you oppress the, the poor people, and how you swindle people, and everything you've done, it's going to be done to you. And it's going to be done to you by me through Assyria. Isn't that something? Because God is in the heavens and can do whatever he pleases. Psalm 115.3. If you don't know that verse, look it up. Um, 
Another one that I love is uh, Deuteronomy 29.29. We're responsible for what's here, what's revealed. We're not for what's secret, uh, his secret will. This is what we're responsible for. So whenever folks want to come up and talk to you about theology and bring up things that are not covered here, it's quite all right. Actually, you might ought to say, I have no clue. But this says this. Right? So we stick with that. Uh, but there's going to be an adversary that's come. And, and then he goes into this, this odd thing that seems kind of stick out from nowhere, right? Talking about this, the ear and the legs and all this. It's like, where does that come from? Um, but it looks like uh, there's going to be a remnant. We hear anything about that this morning? Uh, so, so here's the deal. Uh, as a shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. So what he would do, what he's talking about here is uh, shepherds out tending the flock. You got your CEO back in his place and, and you're kind of running things. And all of a sudden you're counting and you got, a, got one missing. Well, if you don't come up with a way to prove that, you just bought an invisible goat or a sheep, right? So you go out and you try to find it. And if you find an ear or a couple of legs or something, you would bring that back to the owner to say, look, see, I didn't steal it. I didn't eat it. These are lying tooth marks. Uh, this, this is all that's left, though. And it's total destruction. You ever watch Discovery Channel and see lions get after animals that they're eating? It's devouring I mean, you think I could attack a steak, but I mean, these guys really get into that antelope and gazelle. I mean, they, they tear it up. It's devoured. All that's left is the little parts, and then the birds come get it. But uh, so here he's talking about it's going to be bad for you, Israel, whenever Assyria comes. It's going to look as bad as this. So you can be on your bed and your couch and your comfort and think everything's great right now, but it's coming, right? And, and he's letting them know that there's going to be a little bit left. It's not going to look good, but there's going to be a little bit left. That ear, probably going to be a little tattered and ripped off legs, don't look so great. But there are what's left to prove that that animal did exist and that I didn't take it. And so here, Israel's going to look pretty bad whenever this is done. But there's going to be some left. There's always some left. There's always a remnant. Alistair Begg in his sermon brought up uh, his, uh, Elijah when he's all scared, you know, in, in the cave. I'm alone left, and it's only me. I was like, get up and go out of here. There's plenty left. And, and so, <laughs> uh, but it, I like Alistair Begg because of his accent. Um, so he brings that up at this particular section, that story. So if you want to look that up, uh, whenever Elijah's going away from uh, um, Jezebel, is that who it is? Yeah, if you want to go look that up, that's an interesting story as well. Um, but there's always a remnant. People has a portion of his, God has a portion of his people at all times, and he's going to continue to save them. Um, going to devour the nation like a lion with his prey, um, leaving only those mutilated remnants showing proof of the destruction. And then he brings back the nations again that... Uh, they're going to testify against Israel. So now you have pagan nations testifying against Israel. Um, he's going to punish them. Um, they're going to, but he brings up it in a way that brings up history, right? He doesn't say Israel. This is not what the he brings up what they were in the beginning, the house of Jacob. It's just kind of this is how you started, but this is who's in trouble. And we're going to testify against you because this is who you were whenever you made these promises to me that you've broken. And then he talks about not only that, but I, I will not only punish the altars uh, or, or the, the land and, and the cities, but he's going to destroy the altars, right? There's no more places to worship. Because apparently what Jeroboam did is in the northern kingdom of Israel... He didn't want to have his people going down south to Jerusalem in the place you're supposed to worship. No. He had to set up a couple of places, what Gilgal, Dan, and Bethel. And so he set up some calves and put these big horns on them. And, uh, and so you splattered the blood on the horns and, and uh, when you would do worship. 
So that was his idea, right? Uh, that he was going to take care of that. So that way the people didn't have to go down there to the, the old southern Texas folks. You know, you stay up here in New York. You know, uh, stay up here where we're, where we're at. Don't go down there. No need to travel. Just keep all your money and everything up here. And so God says, I'm going to destroy that because is that where they were told to worship? No. In the beginning of the book, he talks about the, the lion roars from Zion. They knew he was talking about Jerusalem. Not Bethel, not Gilgal, not Dan. None of those places were the right place to worship. And they knew it, and they did it in direct disobedience against God out of convenience for themselves. Glad we don't ever do anything like that, right? So he's going to destroy their major worship center, and he spoke, speaks specifically about the horns of the altar will be cut off, be no more. It's done. He would destroy the houses and even the, the, the houses of the wealthy, both their, their winter houses and their summer houses. And, and just a, a little bit more of a stick there, um, the ones that have the ivory, right? They're going to come to an end. I hope you enjoyed your time there, Israel, because it's going to stop. And then finishes with declares the Lord. So just, just so you know, some of these issues that, that Israel has. Enslaving their countrymen for petty debt. That, that, that's an issue. Perverting justice, justice for the disadvantaged. Practicing incest. Exacting harsh taxes. Silencing the prophets who condemn them. Maintaining extravagant lifestyles at the expense of the poor. Failing to heed warnings. Insincere religious worship tainted with paganism. Presuming on the Lord and future blessings. Resting on the military prowess and their supposed invulnerable defenses. What did we hear this morning about what when Assyria came and destroyed them? Was it hard? No. It was easy. They just came in and just kind of... They didn't have much military prowess then. They didn't have very much uh, uh, invulnerable defenses. Assyria didn't have to struggle. Because God was against Israel. He would set out to punish them. Now, I haven't talked too much about Jesus, right? So maybe... A, a Jewish person would listen to this and say, right on, yeah, he's, he's, that's, that's right. And maybe not even know anything about Christ or, or uh, maybe Christian people sitting here going, well, how's that translate to me? What, what does it mean to me? Does God care about me enough? Does, do, well, do you care more about justice or do you care more about mercy and grace? We should care about all of them, right? We're favorable to the mercy and grace. But what, so to kind of tie it in a little bit, in uh, 2 Timothy 3, Paul starts telling Timothy that in these last days, difficulty is going to come, right? And Timothy's kind of in charge. He's pastoring this church in Ephesus, and there's some problems there. Timothy's a young guy, and, uh, and so he's a little bit timid. There's maybe some elder statesmen, some guys that came in from the outside trying to get power there in the church. There's some issues. So he's telling Timothy, Here, here's what's going to look like in these last, last days. There's going to be lovers of money, boastful, lovers of self, um, sexually immoral, arrogant, proud, unrighteous, haters of God. You know those people were in the church? It's kind of the same sins, right? Israel had. Do we ever see anything like that? I, I really hate when pastors want to tie. Um, well, hate's a strong word, right? I, I really don't like uh, so much whenever everything gets tied to America, right? That because our national anthem and songs say, you know, God did this for us. And, and, and that's great. He did, right? Because he's in charge of everything. But it's not really written here. 
You know what I'm saying? Um, but if you want to look at it that way, America's been pretty affluent, haven't we, for a while? In God we trust is on our money. One nation under God. It's our founding documents. It's pretty important. I mean, at least our founding fathers had this deep agreement about what we were supposed to be about, the Word of God, right? That that's where the blessings were going to come from if we did this. We said, send us your, your bad folks, your oppressed, we'll take them. And now we've been around for a while. And now we have pastors that cheat on their wives, stare at porn, and a gross number of people that kill babies on a daily basis. I even saw, this is really weird uh, and heinous at the same time, there's a, a man and a wife that believe that God has called him and his wife to be swinging Christians in order to share the gospel. I, I just, I don't understand how you can work that out if you even open the scripture for just a little bit. It's perverted. There's churches that come and get undressed at the front door because in the beginning they didn't wear clothes. That's perverted. There's some churches that say that you're not even saved unless you can speak in some babbling tongue. It's perverted. It's wrong. There's some churches that say that the only way to know that you have the power of the Holy Spirit is if you can handle this deadly snake. Incidentally, a couple of those pastors have been bit and have died. We have lots of similar issues in this country. I don't think he's talking about the country. That's not how we really apply it, right? We apply it individually. The nation of Israel was saved out of being slaves in Egypt. We are individually saved from the slavery to sin. So we got to look at our own selves first, right? We can't just be like Israel and hear the pastor talking about America and then uh, be like, yeah, they're messing up. And then not think about our own selves. Because see, that's what Israel was doing. They were hearing all these different things about the other nations and even about their sister country. And we're like, yeah, at least it's them and not me until it came time that it was them. Then Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians right, 6, 9 through 11, he starts listing all these things that will not inherit the kingdom of earth or the kingdom of God. And, uh, and whenever he gets to the bottom point, he says, as such were some of you. Sexually immoral, immoral idolaters, drunkards. Those are the things that were used to be right our call to worship was ephesians 2 and in that it says we were we were dead in our trespasses not nearly dead not like billy crystal says in princess bride not nearly dead we were all the way dead right that's who we were if you're truly in christ and you're not a false convert then who you are now is not the same as who you were does that make sense I mean, that, that's probably one of them philosophy reason things, right? But it's really easy to work out. You don't have to think about it really hard. So, so what I want you to take home from this text, uh, to take a more examined look at your own life, not to start searching for those that are doing bad things, right? And, and pointing out to them, uh, you know, Amos, you know why you're going through this? Maybe we need to look at our own selves and, and see, am I suffering for the cause of Christ? If, is that why bad things were happening to me? If, if that is, then hey, good, glorify. 
But am I being punished for something that I ought not be doing? Is that what it is? And I'm calling it suffering for the cause of Christ. If it's the other, because they can look similar, right? You can go through some times of trouble. One of them be suffering for the cause of Christ. And the other one could be a warning. God saying, stop what you're doing. You need to get back on track. Couple couple ways you can do that. And I'll, and I'll end with that. So think about you're going through these times, these trials, and you're going to go through them. James tells us that. Think about how often have I been praying? If it's not very much, probably should pick that number up a little bit, right? Well, two weeks ago, I remember I prayed at Taco Bell that that food wouldn't make me sick again. It's probably not not enough, right? Um, how often do I attend service to listen to the Word of God preached and taught and worship and be with my, my fellow believers? If, if you're... If you're saying, well, I go every Christmas and Easter like clockwork. Probably not enough, right? Let us not forsake the assembly together, together of the saints. The Bible tells us we should be together. Kind of hard to operate as a body in unity if all the parts are scattered, right? They need to be together. Third, our Bibles when you pick it up on Sunday and you can put a stripe down the middle because it's got dust on everywhere else, you probably should read it more. Right? And if you don't have a physical one, I mean, don't we all have them here? I mean, there's I got like 70 different translations on there. A Dewey Bream, I don't even know what that means, but I got it. There was a cotton patch version and a Dewey Ream version and a contemporary English. I mean, you name it. There's the version on there. So we got to be in prayer. We got to be our, around our other brothers and sisters in Christ, and we got to stay in the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that I maybe brought clarity and no confusion. Lord, but I feel lucky and uh, blessed to be in a church that they could read this passage and get the same things that I found out and study it the same way. And one of the more awesome things is, is they, they enjoy doing that, Lord. And I love this group of people that you've assembled together that love me and my family as well. Lord, I thank you for your word, even the word that's hard for us to understand. Amos chapter 3 may be pointing directly at Israel, but if I'm reading it right, it points at me. Lord, I pray that you'll be with me on a daily basis as you are in your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that I would be able to, uh, to be with you more in thought and deed. To read your word and to fellowship with your people, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be doers of your word and not just reading it and just doing it ritually. Lord, I pray that throughout this week that, that we would go about and glorify your name, worship you and praise you. And maybe somebody would ask us, where does that come from? Where's your hope? And we're able to tell them about your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.